0: your lesson sheet for the evening, and for the next 30 minutes, we're going to talk from uh, this lesson sheet, and I hope that uh, you'll follow along with me. Uh, the last lesson, we're laying the found work, the groundwork for giving you a plan for being able to share the gospel with people. Uh, last week, we, or in the last two weeks, actually, we talked from John chapter 15 about going and bearing fruit, and that it be fruit that remains. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but if I said it once, I think about ten times in those pages that you were filling out, there was one word that I emphasized over and over and over and over again. Ten times I used the same word over and over and over again. Anybody want to take a guess at what that word was? It was the word go. You got to go. Brother Bill got it. You got to go. You got to go. You got to go. We can't wait for people to come to us. We got to go. We got to go. We got to bear fruit, and we want that fruit to remain. And so the emphasis was to motivate, to begin motivating people to be involved in going. Everywhere we go, as we are going through the course of our day, interacting with people, communicating with others in our networks and beyond our networks for that matter, looking for opportunities. Uh, and open doors to be able to share the good news of Jesus. And and you just got to go to do that. Um, If you're waiting for people to come and ask you how to be saved, it it might happen on occasion, but it isn't going to happen often. And if we're going to win people to Jesus, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go and bear fruit and bear fruit that remains. Now, tonight, we're going to talk about two of the elements that are absolutely essential that we we communicate to people when we're sharing the gospel. I specifically love the phrase about Jesus when it says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Uh, Jesus is the embodiment of both grace and truth. It's not grace without truth. It's not truth without grace. It is grace and truth. And As we're talking about how to share our faith and how to be a witness Uh, to others of jesus christ these two ingredients are absolutely essential there may be a lot of other things that you do but these two ingredients are absolutely essential when it comes to this matter of leading others to to faith in the lord jesus and so number one there are two ingredients necessary for an effective witness there are two you want to guess which two they are (laughs) if you haven't got it by now you're in big trouble The first ingredient letter a the first ingredient is truth but that's a huge question in our day i mean the question of the day is what is truth i mean you've got your truth i've got my truth all god's children got truth and everybody's truth is equal everybody's truth the same so you can't judge me i can't judge you we all got truth and that truth is fluctuating from one person to another, from one you know, section of the society to another section of the society. We just sort of make up the truth uh, as we go along. But that's not what it means when it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. You do understand that Jesus ate with a lot of sinners. They came to the table to eat with Jesus, but it was, that it was the mission of Jesus that they would leave the table changed for having been with Jesus. Now, a lot of us like to eat at the table with uh, those that are lost, but we have no intention of using those opportunities, those table opportunities, for sharing the gospel. And consequently, you know, we're making friends, but we're not using those friendships in those networks to be able to, to, to reach them with the gospel. And so, the the first ingredient that people have to, to have and have to understand is that there is such a thing as absolute truth. And that absolute truth is found in the scripture. When you think about truth, one of the greatest questions, it's what is truth? Truth is unchanging. It doesn't matter whether it's first century or 21st century, it doesn't change. Truth is the ideal this is what god is wanting from us it is the ideal truth is the standard it is the standard by which everything else in life is judged truth is the goal what are we aiming for we're aiming for truth that's the ultimate that's the ultimate goal truth is the glory of god that is truth now we all fall short of the glory of god right But that is the goal. That is the ambition. It's the glory of God. Truth is God's law. If you want to see truth as it relates to this matter of winning people to Christ, there isn't anything much better, there isn't anything any better than bringing people to the law of God and causing them to compare themselves to the law and to recognize that All of us fall short that none of us will measure up to the truth in such a degree to such a degree that God would ever give us entrance to heaven on the basis of the works that we do. As much as we desire and love the truth, as much as we seek to live the truth, there's not anybody in this room, including this preacher, that doesn't fall short of the truth at times. But God isn't going to dumb the truth down and say, okay, well, you couldn't make it, so I'm going to bring it down to your level. There's got to be an answer, and of course that answer is grace. But the problem is, is that people don't see themselves as, as, as being held accountable to such a standard as the standard of God, the standard of truth. For people to understand their need of salvation, they must know the truth about themselves from God's Word. We were talking about this in a staff meeting not, not too long ago. You know, it's hard to get people saved until you first get them lost. I think, I think Tim Yates was the one who said that first in the staff meeting. It's hard to get people saved until you get them lost. Until they understand that the circumstances in which they, they find themselves. That they are violators of the truth of God. At their very best, they come short of the glory of God. And therefore, they need redemption. They need forgiveness. They need the grace of God. And people have got to see that about themselves. Now, I'll just tell you that in today's society, we have spent so much time telling people to love themselves that it's hard sometimes for people to see that they are sinners. Now, I understand some people have a deficit in their lives and they they don't have enough respect. I, I, I get that. There's there's a place for that, but we've gone way beyond what is a balanced approach to this. we tell people to love yourself doesn't matter how you live doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter where you go doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter who you hang with doesn't matter what kind of things you're involved in just love yourself and nobody sees themselves as a sinner nobody sees themselves in need of the savior nobody understands that they fall short of the glory of god for the for that for that matter most people have no concept that there is a god that there is truth and that they will be measured by that truth Most people have no idea of that. Truth exposes their condition. We're going to talk about using the truth here, the law, in a moment. But truth exposes their condition. What does truth show us? It shows us that we've all sinned and that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. In all of my years of being a Christian and sharing my faith with people, sharing the gospel with people, I've only had one person, a teenager, only had one person who, when I really got down to the presentation of the gospel, who said, I said, do you understand that you're a sinner? And she responded to me and said, no, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. But the reality is a lot of people don't say it out loud, but that's exactly what they believe. They believe that they're not a sinner. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not really as bad as this person. You know, if you measure it all out and you weigh it all out, if there is a God, I mean, maybe the good things that I do somehow will outweigh the bad things and I'll tip the scale in my favor. And they need to understand that measured by the law, nobody will ever tip it in their favor. It's impossible because the condition that all of us face is a condition of falling short of the glory of God. Truth explains the consequences. When you're sharing the truth, you're explaining not only their condition, you're explaining the consequences of their condition. Do you understand that by violating the truth of God, not measuring up to the glory of God, not not meeting the ideal, not not meeting the standard, not hitting the goal, do you understand that the consequences of that, the wages of sin is, is death? It's to be separated from God forever. It is to be lost in a Christless hell A lake of fire from which you never, ever, ever escape, from which you pay the penalty of your sins forever. You didn't have to. You could have trusted in Jesus, but you didn't trust in Jesus, and consequently, you have to pay the penalty of your sins forever. But now listen truth not only exposes their condition and the consequences, but truth expresses God's cure. What is the answer? When I begin to see myself as somebody who is lost, who who and I don't like using the word broken because the the word broken, everybody uses the word broken. No, you're more than just broken. You are sinful. I understand the word brokenness. Uh, I understand using the word brokenness. We talk about relationship, brokenness, all these different ways of using the word, but the reality is what's at the core of it all? Why are you broken? It's sin. It's because you're a sinner. It's because I'm a sinner. It's because we fall short of the glory of God. We don't measure up to the standard. We can't achieve the ideal. In the, in the law of God, when we look at the law of God and compare ourselves to the law of God, there isn't anybody. There isn't anybody that measures up. But the truth doesn't leave people there. The truth also brings the cure to them. And what is the cure? John 3 36 He who believes in the Son has. Not past tense. Has Right now this very moment everlasting life and he who does not believe notice who's responsible It's the one who believes and the one who does not believe He who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him It's not going to abide on him. It already abides on him Mm, Just like we already possess eternal life the, the wrath of God is already on their lives And so the truth helps us to see who we are. Number three, one of the most powerful ways of communicating the truth about mankind's need is with God's law, with God's law. This is the method Jesus utilized. It's the method Jesus utilized. Remember when he was dealing with a woman at the well? And he's talking to her about her condition, her spiritual condition, and what does, she, what does he say to her? She didn't say, well, did this brush right just br- brush right by her sin?" He says to her, "You've had five husbands. Go bring your husband. I, I'm not married. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with, hmm, you're, he's not your husband. You think, did he, did he ignore their sin? Did he ignore her sin? We don't ignore sin. Sin is the reason why we need a Savior. We blow right past sin, and all of a sudden, we have a Savior. Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because we are sinners. That's why we need a Savior. That's the method Jesus used. That's the method Stephen employed. If you look at the sermon that Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7, uh, in the middle of the sermon, he says, "Who who have received the law and have not kept it. You received the law, and you didn't keep it he used the law. He said, look, you measure yourself by the law, you you fall short. You didn't keep it. Nobody can keep it perfectly, by the way. Nobody can keep it perfectly. That's the method, or this is the method Paul practiced. It's the method Paul practiced. You'll notice uh, at the end of verse 20 of chapter 3 of Romans, it says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin Chapter 7 and verse 13 of Romans says, But sin, because of the law, but but sin that it might appear sin, exceedingly sinful. What's the law do? The law puts the spotlight on the sinfulness of mankind's heart. If I were to ask you to, to stand and to give me the Ten Commandments, can you do that? Can your children do that? They're not hanging on the walls of our schools anymore. They're not in many of the public buildings anymore. They're not on public properties much anymore, if at all, anymore. I mean, if we don't teach the law to our children so that they know what God requires and what God expects, how will they ever understand that their true condition is to be lost before God? I suggest to you that most people, the problem isn't so much that they need more psychological believing in themselves and loving themselves more. I I would suggest that the real problem is that they see themselves for what they really are and they come to the one who can be their savior and make them something they could never be on their own. That's that's the work of, of Jesus Christ. That's also the method that James followed. He followed the same method. He said, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, if you're familiar much with evangelism, you know that uh, there's an evangelist out today who's, who uses the law in a very powerful way. His name's Ray Comfort. Uh, his ministry is called The, the Way of Life. Um, who was the, Who is the actor? got uh, yeah, Kirk Cameron. Thank you. I appreciate you all helping me with my sermons. Thank you so much. Kurt Cameron works very closely with him. Now, if you go, if you go Google his, uh, his ministry, I've, I've read his book on uh, the presentation of the gospel, The Way of the Master is, is the name of the ministry, The Way of the Master, uh, and Ray Comfort. He does some interviews where he uses the law to expose the people that they have broken God's law and thus need a Savior. And I, he's a lot bolder than I would be. He's a lot brasher than I would be. This, this is about the grace approach. Um, but the reality is ultimately you've got to get them to a place of recognition that you need a savior. You need a savior that if you don't understand, you need a savior, then you never know why you need a savior. You never have a savior. You don't need a savior. If you don't understand you're lost. And that's what the law causes people to understand. Number four, taking individuals to the law of God helps them to see their utter helplessness to save themselves. A lot of people think, well, I'll just go and obey the law. I'll just go do what the law says. Anybody here able to obey the law perfectly? The law requires not only crossing every T and dotting every I. The law requires the spirit as well. Jesus said, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, it's not just the one who commits the physical act of adultery. It's the one who looks on a woman to lust in his heart. who has committed committed adultery in his heart already. Wow, that's a high standard. It's not just the one who kills somebody else. It's someone who hates another person who has killed somebody else. Now, even if you can look at some of the laws that God gave in the Ten Commandments, and you can say, well, I did pretty good by most of those. When you start looking at the spirit of the law, you begin to recognize there isn't any possible way that any of us can ever live up to the perfect standard of the law that God has given. And today, we live in a post-Christian America that doesn't know what the law is, doesn't understand the law. It's going to take some explanation. It's going to take some time to be able to go through it. But we've got to bring them to the law of God to help them understand that there is a God in heaven, that he's given a law, and that those who violate his law, which is every single one of us, end up being the exact same. We are all sinners who are lost and headed to a Christless hell. That's the reality. And until you come to understand that, you don't understand church, you don't understand, the, you, you don't understand your Bible, you don't understand... Uh, you don't understand worship. You don't understand singing. You don't understand, you don't understand anything. It's just wasted time. These people could be doing a thousand other things than what they're doing. They don't, they don't see what they are. They don't, they don't understand what God says about them. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones is a preacher of yesteryear, but he talks about using the law. Listen to what he says. The trouble with people who are not seeking a Savior and for salvation is that they do not understand the nature of sin. It is the peculiar function of the law to bring such an understanding to a man's mind and conscience. That is why great evangelical preachers 300 years ago in the time of the Puritans and 200 years ago in the time of Whitfield and others always engaged in what they called a preliminary law work. They first tried to help people see their real condition, their true condition, John Wesley, who was the founder of the Wesleyan Church, the Methodist Church. I don't think John Wesley would recognize the Methodist Church today, at least some portions of the Methodist Church today. John Wesley was a good man, he was a godly man. John Wesley said, It's the ordinary method of the Spirit of God to convict sinners by the law. It is this which, being set home on the conscience, generally breaks the rocks in pieces. It is more especially this part of the Word of God, which is quick and powerful, full of life and energy, and sharper than any two-edged sword. You bring people to the law. You help them to see what the law says about this perfect standard that none of us can ever keep, and the reality is we all fall short. You ever lied? Have you ever told a lie? I'm talking about, hey, you call it a little white lie. It's still a lie. You ever lied? That means you're a liar, right? did you ever take something that wasn't yours? I mean, it really belonged to the company. It really belonged to your friend. It really belonged to your neighbor. And for all my neighbors that I got your tools in my garage, I'm going to get those back to you. Uh, You took those things that didn't belong to you. You you know, the reality is that even if it's the little thing that makes, that makes you a thief. You understand what I'm saying? If you uh, don't commit the act of adultery, but you are lusting at pornography and you're lusting at uh, people around your office and at the plant, you're committing adultery in your heart. You violated the law. If you don't hate somebody where you take a gun and you kill them, but you're holding on to bitterness towards somebody else such that you can't stand to see them, you can't stand to be around them, hey, you violated the law. And guess what? When you violate the law, it means you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, it means that uh, The wages of that sin is death to be eternally separated from God forever. And you need help. You desperately need help. And the one who can help us is Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor in England, he said, When once God, the Holy Spirit, applies the law to the conscience, secret sins are dragged to light, little sins are magnified to their true size, and things apparently harmless become exceedingly sinful, Before the dread searcher of the hearts and trier of the reins, which makes his entrance into the soul, it appears righteous, just, lovely, and holy. But when he reveals the hidden evils, the scene is changed. Offenses, which were once styled uh, peccadillos, he calls them. Don't you love those words that he uses? Uh, Trifles, freaks of youth, follies, indulgences, little slips, etc., then appear in their true color as breaches of the law of God deserving his punishment deserving his punishment now i don't suggest that you have to take every person to the law some people will understand that they are sinners but when you have somebody that doesn't understand that you got to take them to the law and you got to help them to understand the law you you do know that do i really want to i don't know if i want to chase this rabbit or not i better not chase the rabbit The law cannot help you as a believer either. I'm going to chase the rabbit. (laughs) Romans chapter 7. I won't get through this lesson tonight, so just... We won't probably get to all of grace. That's a shame. I hate to leave you in the law. (laughs) Look at Romans chapter 7. Paul is struggling. Do you realize that your flesh is sinful? Your flesh is sinful. Where does the propensity for the evil that comes from? Where does it come from? It comes from your flesh. When Adam fell in the garden, every one of us that were born in the line of Adam, which is all humanity, all of us inherited that same evil nature that's inherent in, the, in our flesh. You might not be as bad as you possibly could be, but you're, you, you're, you're nevertheless bad in your flesh. And so Paul comes in Romans chapter 7, he says, you know what? Now, Paul's a believer in Romans 7. He's a believer in Romans 7. Paul says, you know what I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some rules. I'm going to live by the law. I'm going to make some boundaries, and I'm going to stay within these boundaries. Because if I just draw up some more rules to follow, the end result is I'll start doing the things I ought to do. How well did that go for Paul? Verse 15 for what I'm will for for what I'm doing I do not understand for what I will to do that I do not practice but what I hate that I do y'all ever felt like that if then I do what I will not to do I agree with the law that it's good but now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me for I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells for the will is present with me I know what I should be doing he says But how to perform what is good, I do not know. And he's talking about when I try to put the law around me and I try to box myself in with some more rules, I end up just breaking the rules. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do. I don't want to do this stuff that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin, where does it dwell? In me, even as a believer. So even as a believer, you don't deal with your sin by the law. The law shows us our sinfulness. Verse 21, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I mean, I I will to do good, but I I see this evil that's everywhere with me. Everywhere I go, it's with me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I, I, I want to do what's right. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You hear his desperation? So I'm chasing a rabbit at this moment. We're off the track of helping people to understand that they're sinners and need a savior. And we're on to the subject of Even as believers in Jesus Christ, the way to live godly isn't to create a whole bunch more rules or to set up a law and put yourself in a box within that law. Um, Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. In Romans chapter 7, he's talking about the law in his flesh. And the law, you know what the law does? It brings the worst of his flesh out. What do you do when you see a sign that says, don't touch? (laughs) What do you do? It said, you know what it says? It says, don't walk on grass. Don't walk on grass. What do you do? You go over, and if you don't walk on the grass, you can put your foot on it anyway. Ah, I'll show you. <laughs> Why? Because rules, laws, cannot uh, corral your fleshly sinfulness that inherent sinfulness with which every person is born, then what is the answer? Well, if we'd gone on to Romans chapter 8, you would have seen it there, but you're going to see it here in Galatians chapter 5. Notice verse 16. I say then, uh, he's contrasting, in Romans 7, he's contrasting the law in his flesh, and the law can't help him. He just, he just tries to do right, but he doesn't do it. He creates another rule, You know, he, one rule further away from the law so that maybe if I... If I build enough, you know, the boundary between me and the law out here, I won't break the law out here. And they find themselves breaking. The more rules you make, the more rules you break. In chapter 5, verse 16, he's talking now about the contrast between the Spirit of God who indwells us and that fleshly spirit that is that sinful spirit that we all deal with. Notice what he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit not in the law, not making more rules, not more regulations, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Just stop there for a moment. How do, how do I live like I'm supposed to live? <sighs> By getting a piece of paper and writing out a, a list of rules, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. Hey, j- just go, here. I've made about uh, I should probably ask Mary. I- I've made about Uh, a thousand and one rules about what I'm going to eat and what I'm not going to eat. And uh, I have a hard time keeping the rules. Do you? Um, I have a hard time keeping the rules. And guess what? It might not be food for you. It might be something else for you, but I bet you, you have trouble keeping the rules too, because keeping the rules is not what God called us to do. You want to live godly? He says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of your flesh. He goes on, look at it, verse 17, for the flesh, what's in the flesh? What all Paul was, I don't want to do these things. They're coming out of my flesh. I don't like what I'm doing. He says, flesh lusts against the spirit. Uh, It sets its desires against the Spirit. We're talking about not your human spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And the Holy Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. In other words, these are contrary. And so you find yourself sometimes not doing the things you know you need to do because you're trying to do them in the energy of the flesh. You're trying to keep the rules. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, now, the works of the flesh are these, or these are evident, or these. And he goes on to make this long list of ugly things. But then he gets down to verse 22. But, but if you walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, or, or, or gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. How do I live a holy life? It won't be by creating a whole long list of rules. It's going to be by coming to a place in your life when you're yielding yourself to the Spirit of God who indwells you and you're saying, Lord, fill me with your presence and help me to do what I know I need to do and do through me what I cannot do for myself because the rules I can't keep. I can only do what is right if you enable me to do what is right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the law, the law, only, what does the law do? The law shows you how sinful you are. Even in your believer, it shows you how sinful you are. It brings the worst out of your flesh. Oh, man, I got a rule, and I just broke it. Because in the flesh, you can never keep the law. The only way you can live for God is that you yield to the Spirit. By the way, back to Romans chapter 7. What does he come to in chapter 8? What does he come to in chapter 8? Uh, I don't want to quote it because I'll misquote it because I didn't prepare for this. You say, you didn't prepare for this? Well, I didn't prepare for this particular rabbit. You, you come to the end of chapter 7 where he's so frustrated because he can't do what the, the, the rules he's made, the rules he knows. He can't keep them in the energy of the flesh. What does he say in chapter 8? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh. But how? According to the whom. Is it who or whom? Whatever it is, English teachers. According to the Spirit. In other words, Paul says, the answer to my problem, with all these rules and regulations that I can't seem to keep, I don't do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I want to do, the answer to all of that is for me to yield myself to the Spirit of God and let God do His work in me and through me. So we've got to get people to the law. People have got to understand that they are sinners. I'm going to come back to the second ingredient, but I'll just tell you what it is. Anybody want to take a guess? It was just two words. Jesus was full of grace and truth. The second ingredient is grace. Once you've helped people to see what they really are, then you've got to rush in with the answer. You got to rush in with the grace because you you, you never want to leave somebody, you never want to leave somebody so distraught. Oh, I've broken the law of God. I'm under the condemnation of the Almighty. His wrath is already resting on me. I'm going to spend eternity in the lake of fire forever and forever to pay the penalty of my sin when I didn't have to. And you leave them distraught? Oh, man, don't ever do that. When you bring somebody to the place, what do you do when, uh, uh, when you're trying to get somebody to learn something different than what they have been doing? What, what does the military do with young men and young women who come in? They tear them down first, and then they build them back up the way they want them to be built. Right? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. You come to them with the law, you, let, you don't tear them down but you let the law of God, you let, the, you, you let the truth of Scripture bring them to the reality of what they really are, but then you don't leave them there. You, let, you, you bring the grace back to them so that God can build them back the way God wants them to be. You follow, you follow my analogy? I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. I'm t- salvation is by grace through faith. But after that, It's a matter of every day yielding to the Spirit of God and saying, God, live your life in me and live your life through me. I cannot live it any other way if you don't help me. So next time, we'll talk about this second ingredient in grace. You know, I said we'd be through with this by the first of the year. It might be the first of 2024 (laughs) at this particular pace. I'm sorry I got sidetracked. Sorry I chased that rabbit. But some of you need to know that making a whole list of rules for your kids ain't going to work. You've got to have some rules. I understand parents, you've got to have some rules. But you've got to understand as well that your kids' flesh is, is going is to be their struggle for the rest of their lives. And you've got to teach them not how to live by rules. You've got to teach them how to live by the Spirit, by the enabling power of the Spirit of God. By the way, that's where the power comes. That's where the boldness comes uh, to be a witness for Jesus um it comes it comes from the holy spirit who gives you the boldness to speak up in a given situation happy thanksgiving to you i just took you to the law and left you to say happy thanksgiving to you (laughs) i just tore you down and i left you without the grace to build you back up um please come back we'll get to the grace because the grace is the really really good part It is the unmerited, undeserved favor that God pours lavishly into our lives so that he does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And aren't we thankful for God's amazing grace?